Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rhema.org.au forward slash media. So look, I'm going to start off just talking a little bit about how much our world has changed in, in just my lifetime alone. And there's people here this morning, I can see that I've been around the block a few more times than you have. And then there's some that you've been around the block a few more times than I have. <laughs> but what I've noticed in my lifetime that there has been huge changes. And I'm just going to touch on a couple of those just to give you an idea of what I'm talking about. But when I was a child, I went to a public school, government school. And we used to say the Lord's Prayer every morning before class. The Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Every morning before class. We used to sing, God save the Queen, our gracious Queen. Long live our noble queen. We had honour and respect for authority, culturally, and in our nation. And it was a privilege to do so. And now all of those institutions are just being eroded, as we know. Society in general was undergirded by Christian values. You know, the kids that I went to school with, everyone knew it was wrong to lie. They all believed it was wrong to lie. They all believed it was wrong to swear. Swearing didn't happen around women and children. And if a man let something slip accidentally, he'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry, he'd apologise. Sadly now, women, I'm ashamed to say this, but women can be some of the worst potty mouths that there are. And children, you know, they're brought up around that and they don't think that there's anything wrong with that at all. Blasphemy is another thing that I've noticed. I started to really notice it in the 1980s to begin to creep into movies. And I think you know what I'm talking about. But the name of the Lord is holy. It's holy. It's to be reverenced. It's to be reverenced by us who profess to worship that name. So we don't use it as an exclamation mark. We don't use it to make a stronger point of what we want to say. Sometimes I think, you know, we've been marinating in grace for so long and grace is a wonderful message and I am um, so blessed to understand. We all are blessed to know his grace. But we've got to be very careful that when we look at the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, that when we look into the New Covenant and the New Testament, that we don't see a completely different God, that we don't identify a completely different God that was the one that was in the Old Testament and, oh, hello, in the New Testament, we've got a completely different one and perceive him as having a different identity and a different nature because he didn't have a lobotomy between the two different agreements. He didn't. He didn't have an identity change. He simply made possible through grace what was impossible through the law. And we know that we access him by grace through faith, as Ephesians 2.8 tells us. In Hebrews 13.8, it tells us that he is the same God. Jesus Christ, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is eternally changeless always, the same yesterday, today and forever. And so I find myself thinking, 
personally, doesn't this make me all the more desirous to live in his grace, to live with a desire to honour him and to please him and to obey him, all the more because of the free gift of his grace, not less, not less. You know, we get frightened of this thing we call grace abuse. If we tell people about how good God is, they're going to write their own license to sin. I'm going to tell you what Paul said about that in Romans 6.15. He said, what then are we to conclude? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under God's grace? And I can see this strong man who's so passionate saying, certainly not, certainly not. Because <laughs> he, was, he was a strong man. Do you not know that when you continually offer yourselves to someone to do his will, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Either slaves of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness, right standing with God. So when we have a genuine revelation of his grace, when we have a genuine revelation, all we desire is to be more like him. There's no threat of grace abuse, none whatsoever. We don't want anything to do with self-righteousness. So who believes that we are drawing closer and closer to the coming of the Lord? Anybody in this room? Hallelujah! We sang about it. I love the words of that song. For endless days we're going to sing his praise. And I love that we get to sing that praise now. We're going to be singing it right into eternity, right into his kingdom, right into glory. Hallelujah. Romans 8.22 tells us, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Until now. From thousands of years ago when that was written, but it was referring to even time before that, all of creation has been groaning, travailing for his return. The infrastructure for what we know is going to take place during the last days, is becoming increasingly evident in our time, increasingly evident. We may not see it, we might not be aware of it, we may not discern it at all, but it is there and it is happening all around us. I find it very interesting that we can read words that were written thousands of years ago by John in Revelation, where he says in, in uh, Revelation 13, verse 16 and 17, also he, speaking of the Antichrist, compels all the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand and on their forehead, signifying allegiance to the beast. Don't be scared. You're not going to be tricked into it. We're not going to be tricked into it. It's, a, it's signifying our allegiance. We will do this to signify our allegiance to the beast and that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, I'm not saying that it's going to happen next, you know, tomorrow, next week or next month. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm pointing out is that there is an ongoing process of conditioning us. And when I say us, I mean all of humanity to normalise to normalise this setting up of the infrastructure for what we know is going to happen. See, the enemy, he's not just going to march on our front door, up to our front door, introduce himself, identify himself and say, I'm your worst enemy 
and I want you to suffer for all eternity with me. Who would answer that invitation? Now, I've got an older brother who said to me that he plans on partying in hell for all of eternity. Now, he's under a very sad deception because there'll be no party. There'll be no party. So I pray for him. You know, the word says in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So the little guy that kids run around in costumes on um, uh, the evening of the end of October where they all dress up, the little guy in the pink suit and the horns and the pitchfork, that is, that is, not, that is not who the devil is. Some of the examples around the infrastructure that I'm talking about, we've become an increasingly cashless society. You know, when I was a young girl and first went to work, you either got an envelope with cash in it or you got a cheque. There was no such thing as digital currency. There was no such thing as FPOS, electronic, fund, electronic funds transfer at point of sale. There was no such thing. That's come in in my lifetime. There's no such thing as credit cards. All of those things have come. So we've been becoming increasingly cashless. And, you know, even before this pandemic, I'd talk to people at my work where we do transactions and, and I'd say to them sometimes, just to throw a little seed out there, I'd say, you know, one day we're going to be a cashless society. And the number of times people would say, oh, we're never going to be a cashless society. That's never going to happen. Do you know in the last couple of years I've seen a complete shift in mindset? People now say, oh, yes, 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 that's coming. Yes. Yes, so there's been this acceptance and, um, you know, this overall acceptance and, and, and inevitability about it. We can pay with a smartphone, we can pay with the tap of a watch and we know that these things are just a precursor to what is coming. You know, we've got automated everything, checkouts. Again, you used to have to have a person there. We can now, there's more and more of this automated checkout process where we can go and transact with machines, um, the airports as well. I've watched that change. You used to have to go to a person to get your baggage um, tag thing. You used to have to go to a person to get a boarding pass. It's all automated. You can you know, print your ticket off online and get your boarding pass and put your thing on your bag and get in and off and go through the little beep, beep, beep things, you know, like the check that you don't have anything on you. Everything's becoming increasingly automated. The proliferation of screens everywhere. So, again, when I was younger, if you had one TV in the middle of your house, you know, that was, that was like the thing. Everybody, every family wanted to have the goal of having one TV in their lounge room. And if you had two, all the kids at school were like, whoa, they're so rich, they've got two. Now homes have got computers, TVs, handheld devices. Can you watch stuff on your, your smartwatch? Can't really? No. Anyway, that's probably coming where you can watch it on your, on your watch. We're seeing increasing governmental overreach and governmental alliances, right? And again, they're preparing for global governance and global economy, whether they're conscious of it or not. That's a whole other story, but it is taking place under our noses. I used to think it would be an absolute cataclysmic crisis when the rapture happens. This is when I was a young girl. I thought, airplanes are going to fall out of the sky. Trains are going to, you know, smash everywhere. And I don't think that anymore. And I'll tell you why. 
because there is so much computerised automation. We're even developing driverless cars. Planes can be run on autopilot. Trains can be run on autopilot to a degree. Mark would correct me if I'm wrong, if he was here. Um, you know, so there's all this ever-increasing change happening that is moving towards the rapture. And the rapture, for those that don't know, if you're watching online, there's, a peer, there's something going to happen which is where the Lord takes his bride, the church, off the face of the earth. He takes us away because of who we are in him. He takes us off the planet and there's a seven-year period that follows called the tribulation and not one of us, not one of us, if we really know Christ, would want our worst enemy to be here for that time. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that our world is rapidly changing. The world that we've known, it's rapidly changing. Pastor Kenzie's message just last week about peace was absolutely wonderful. And it reminded me of the scriptures in Jeremiah where it says they cry peace, peace. Talking about humanity, they cry peace, peace. But there is no peace. You see, outside the Prince of Peace... Jesus Christ himself. There will no, not be any true peace. It's impossible because he's the Prince of Peace. There'll be a counterfeit version and there's going to be a very significant counterfeit version during the tribulation. So this is why the scripture instructs us that we're to put on shoes fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace in Ephesians 6.15 because we're going to need to walk in peace wherever the journey takes us. So there's been so much noise of late, and you'd be very aware of it, everyone in this room would, about freedom. Who's heard the word freedom lately? <laughs> we sing about freedom. But, um, you know, if you haven't lived through an actual period of war where you've been in a war zone, I think in this last few years I've heard more about freedom than I ever have in my lifetime. I've participated in those freedom rallies. You know, I went to the freedom rallies and marching in the streets of Brisbane and we're shouting, freedom! I've got to tell you, it was quite exhilarating, actually. It was exhilarating. And what I really loved, what I really loved was seeing the masses of humanity because there was hundreds and thousands of people there. Funnily enough, the mainstream media wasn't interested in that. Huh. Anyway... Um, so hundreds of thousands of people from all walks of life, young and old, all tongues, tribes and nations, all kinds of backgrounds, you know, people with crazy hair and crazier clothes. <laughs> but I loved it. I loved it. And it was there in the midst of all of that that this particular message began to birth in my spirit because I saw something. I saw that there was people united united in their desire to make a stand for what each person believes to be a fundamental human right, and that's freedom. So why do we think? Why do we think that freedom is so important to people? Have you ever wondered? Who's, who says that freedom is important to them here in this country? Pretty much all of us. All throughout history, ancient and mo modern history, we can hear the echoes still resonating 
because of wars and slavery and all the things that have happened throughout history, we hear these echoes of freedom, 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 freedom. It resonates in the human soul. So today I want us to look at what the Bible says about the truth regarding freedom. We're going to look at the definition and once again, we're going to plough through a lot of scriptures. Praise God. So buckle your seatbelts. Here we go. (laughs) The definition for freedom, the state of being free or at liberty rather than in confinement or under physical restraint. Exemption from external control, interference, regulation. The power to determine action without restraint. Political or national independence. Personal liberty as opposed to bondage or slavery. Ease or facility of movement or action. Frankness in manner or speech, the freedom of speech. Civil liberty as opposed to subjection or an arbitrary or despotic government. The right to enjoy all the privileges or special rights of citizenship and membership. The right to frequent, enjoy or use at will. So overall, wrapping all of that up, the undergirding philosophy, the mindset, is that we understand freedom to be the power to exercise choice and make decisions without constraint from within or without. From within or without. Autonomy, self-determination. So my text, key text this morning, is found in Galatians 5 verse 1. And it says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Hallelujah. And in the amplified version, it says it was for this freedom that Christ set us free, completely liberating us. The secondary text is found in John 8, 36. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Do we have some free people in this room? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. However, this has got to beg the question, what did Christ set us free from? What did he set us free from? Because there's people that don't even believe that Jesus is the Son of God, they don't believe he existed. So what did he set us free from? A few weeks ago in my message, What is Life?, we looked in depth at creation, the origin and purpose of life, as well as the impact of the fall. So I'm not going to cover all of those things again here. But what we do know is that when sin entered the scene, the consequences of sin were set into motion. The perfect, pure, holy, flourishing environment that God had created for us was now marred, it was flawed, it was broken through our disconnection with him. That intimacy that we had with him was severed, was cut off. So let's talk about Lucifer because he's an important player in all of this. The name Lucifer in Hebrew means light bringer or light bearer. And I find it fascinating that in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, the Bible tells us that he masquerades as an angel of light because that that's all he can do now in his fallen state. He can only masquerade as an angel of light. He was the most beautiful of all the angels and he had the gift of music to conduct worship in heaven. In Ezekiel, it records these words regarding him in chapter 28. The workship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. He was in the presence of God. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till 
iniquity was found in you. You became filled with violence within and you sinned. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Pride anchored itself in his heart. Isaiah says these words about him in chapter 14. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground. You who weakened the nations. Hear those words. You who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I, 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 I. Do we hear a lot of I, I, I in our world today? When he was expelled from God's presence, he took one third of the heaven's angels with him. Revelation 12, 4 says he drew... His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Revelation 12, 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And again in Jude 1 verse 6. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode... And as I think of that, I think how sad, how sad. It wasn't enough for him, for him to be cast out. He took one third of heaven's beautiful angels with him. What lies, what manipulation, what deception did he feed these precious angels that lured them out of the presence of God? And so it's no wonder that God calls him the father of lies, meaning the source and the originator of all lies. John eight forty four, the second part of the verse. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. See, lies can have tremendous power when we yield to them when we cooperate with them. That's all the lie needs is our mental assent and our cooperation, our belief. And the enemy continues to tell the same coercive, deceptive lies today. He deceives, he manipulates, he incites fear. Why? In order to control. And it's very interesting to see here that even in God's divine eternal kingdom, the privilege and the freedom to choose was evident. See, if it hadn't been, if it hadn't been, there'd be no fall. There would be no fall. There would be no Satan at all. Lucifer, the light bearer, would still be up there in the presence of the Most High God, worshipping with all his might with all his wonder of a holy God. But that's, we know that's not the case. And I just want to throw in that it's very interesting that this angel that was gifted with the ability to make music has even corrupted our music here. You know, we have music that it now, today, I don't even barely like to call it music, but it's full of profanity, it's full of obscenity, it's full of vulgarity, 
And, and we call it music. I have walked out of stores because I refuse to have that put into my head and my spirit. I remember when my girls were little in strollers and, and you know, that's 25 years ago that they were that little. I would walk out of stores then because I wanted to lo love and protect them and what was being fed into their spirit. So be careful what you let into your lives. Be careful what you listen to. They call music the language of the soul. It's the language of the soul. Discern the music that you listen to. So why do we think that this freedom to choose existed even in heaven? Clearly, freedom is the very nature of God. It's his nature and his character. So when he created humankind, again, because of his nature, because of his character, because of his identity, he allowed for the freedom of choice. In Genesis 2.9, we read that the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And also after the Ten Commandments were given, because we know there was the fall, after the Ten Commandments were given to the children of Israel, God says these words to them in Deuteronomy 30 verse 19. He said, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, the privilege the honour and the freedom to choose. Blessing and cursing, which is the consequences. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice and that you may cling to him for he is your life and the length of your days. God's never withholding the good stuff from us. Don't ever be deceived into thinking God is a killjoy. That's a lie. When we live in him, we have the best lives available to live. He's not withholding anything. Synonyms for freedom include these words, just to help us understand this concept of freedom more enlarged and expanded. Power, privilege, right, prerogative, ability, flexibility to make our own decisions and choices. So how evident is the character of God in those attributes? Antonyms or opposites, bondage, captivity, restraint, limitation, enslavement, subjection, subordination, suppression, restriction, imprisonment, confinement, control, even communism. Communism. And once again, in contrast, stark contrast, do we not see the identity and the character and the nature of the evil one? So there's two types of freedom. There's an external freedom and there's an internal freedom. And much of what we've seen in the past few years has involved external freedoms. The fight to maintain external freedoms. And so that's been very real and very confronting and very in our face. And yet we don't have to look very far at all to also realise there is an internal spiritual crisis happening within the very soul of humanity. Would you agree? Mental illness is on the rise. Anxiety, depression, addiction, suicide, all kinds of things are on the rise. Satan means adversary, enemy. Devil means accuser, slanderer. They mean so much more, but there's not time to go into all of that. Ultimately, he's the personification of evil 
and the originator of sin. His only purpose is to steal, to kill and to destroy. His only purpose. And he does it by deceiving, tempting and masquerading as what he isn't and inciting fear. So God does not want us as his people to be unaware of the devil's agenda. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We're not ignorant, but at the same time, we don't go chasing devils under every rock. I lived through that era where we did that. (laughs) It's embarrassing. (laughs) In the times that lie ahead, we know that there is going to be even greater measures of deception on a global scale than what this earth has ever known before. Irrespective of whether we believe in a pre, a mid or a post-tribulation rapture, irrespective of that, this is what Jesus says in Matthew 24, 21 to 25. For at that time there will be a great tribulation, pressure, distress, oppression, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will again. And if those days of tribulation had not been cut short, no human life would be saved. But for the sake of God's elect, God's chosen ones, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and they will provide great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even the elect, God's chosen ones. Jesus is saying, listen carefully, I've told you in advance. So what Jesus is ultimately saying is that there's going to be an even greater level of satanic angel of light activity in the last days. So we need to be very clear as the people of God that Jesus has destroyed Satan, hallelujah, and rendered him utterly powerless, utterly powerless as far as the eternal kingdom is concerned. See, Jesus and Satan, they are no longer battling for supremacy. They're not battling for supremacy. Colossians 2.15 says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he, Christ, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Hallelujah. The, in, the ESV says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities, the demonic realms, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is the King of kings. Jesus is the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. It's finished. It's done. So in answer to our question, what did Christ free us from? Jesus' obedience secured our freedom and victory from the power, the curse and the penalty of sin and death. Hallelujah. His purpose was to reinstate our freedom in and through himself. He's made us free, every single one of us. There is not a chain on this earth. There is not a lie on this earth that has the authority or the right to bind us. Romans 8.2 
For the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, that is the law of our new being, has set you free from the law of sin and death. 2 Corinthians 3.17, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, emancipation from bondage, true freedom, true freedom. Where is his spirit now? Where is that spirit? Is it in this church? Is it in some churches and not other churches? Is it in the big cathedrals all around the world? No, where is it? It's here, hallelujah, hallelujah, it's right here. When we are born again, when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, his spirit lives and dwells in us. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us, not to us. 1 John 3, 8, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That word destroy, when you unpack it, it means annihilate. Do you know to annihilate something is to completely disintegrate it like it doesn't exist? Hallelujah! In Isaiah, in the 8th century BC, the prophet Isaiah wrote these words in 61.1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. This is prophetic. 700 years later, enter Jesus on the scene and look what, he, what we see in Luke chapter 4. So he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Just picture that. Close your eyes and picture this as I read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book. He gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. They were so angry. They were so angry. Their self-righteousness riled up and they wanted to kill this Jesus. In Luke 10, we read where Jesus sends out 70 workers. It's where we talk about, you know, the harvest is plentiful. But the labourers are few. He sends out 70 in pairs and they come rushing back once they're done their mission and their assignment. They come rushing back to Jesus and like, even the demons, even the demons respond when we use your name. And Jesus says in Luke 10, 18, Jesus is like, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Duh. <laughs> so... Jesus thinks, yeah, of course. And he tells them that I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. 
and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice over this, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And this is before he's gone to the cross. This is before what I'm going to read to you next. Revelation 1, 17 to 18, John has this revelation. He says, when I saw him, talking of Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus, in his obedience unto death, even death on a cross, The three days that he was in the tomb, he wasn't just resting. He was working. He was on kingdom business. He'd gone to the very pit of hell and he said to the devil, I'm coming to get you. You know, we get all riled up about these action movies and stuff. Jeff loves action movies. So occasionally I've got to sit and watch one. You know, Terminator, I'll be back. (laughs) There's going to be a greater I'll be back. Hallelujah. (laughs) See how much I love you. I watch those things with you. (laughs) Um, In Matthew 28, 18, now Jesus said this, and this is just before he gave the disciples the great commission and sent them out, but he tells them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Philippians 2.9 says of him, therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. Ephesians 1.22 and 23, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Hallelujah, that's us. So what does his freedom look like in our lives? And I can't talk about that without mentioning Paul and Silas. Because Paul and Silas are such a powerful example of external and internal freedom. You see, they've been doing wonderful work sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and travelling about on the missionary journeys. They'd gone to a particular town and cast out a spirit of divination out of a young girl Uh, Her owners were really ticked off because their income stream was now gone. Money, 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 money. So these people are ticked off. Think about it. They've done something beautiful for this precious young girl. She's been set free from torment. But no, they can only think about money. So what happens? The order of the day is, you know, they, they get Um, round up they get beaten with rods the word tells us beaten with sticks imagine bash bash and these are men bashing them this isn't like little tap 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 you know when you discipline your child it's not like that it's not the you know naughty 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 this was smash 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 terrible painful then they're thrown into what we what we get told in the scriptures the inner prison they're put into into um chains stocks they're bound in chains And what does the word say happens in Acts 16.25? But about midnight, these guys have had a long day. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. 
and the prisoners were listening to them. See, these two understand, understood true freedom. They understood true freedom. It doesn't seem logical, does it? Does it? You know, they weren't in there crying going, did we hear God right? Should we really come to this town? Maybe, maybe we got it wrong. Oh, boo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Boo-hoo. Why has this happened to us? We're good people. We tithe. We serve. We're ministering. They were not doing that in stark contrast because what they understood to be true freedom. They were singing and praising and worshipping their God because it didn't matter what was happening on the outside. Nothing could change their spirit. Hallelujah. And the end of the story is, as we know, God supernaturally liberates them and people in the prison get saved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we are not to fear man but we're to reverence and fear God. Matthew 20, 10, 28 says, Don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather be afraid of him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, Therefore, since these his children share in flesh and blood the physical nature of mankind, that's us, he himself in a similar manner also shared in the same physical nature but without sin so that through experiencing death and not just any kind of death, it was a heinous death, he might make powerless, ineffective, impotent him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and that he might free all those who through the haunting fear of death were held in slavery through their lives. See, this is where even the disciples at times, they did not understand or comprehend Jesus' mission because they were looking for external liberation. They were looking for um, revolution. They were looking for change in in the the, um, Roman governance. But Jesus came to bring something much, much more than just a political revolution. So I want us to use our imagination for just a moment. I thought it would be really cool, like if we'd had holograms and things that I could have just made like a virtual um, display here, but we don't have any of that, so we're going to use our imaginations. Is that okay? <laughs> we're going to imagine one cage here, one cage, okay? It can be any size, but it's a cage. It has a door that can be locked. There's another cage right here. This cage over here is one that somebody puts us into, like Paul and Silas being put into prison. Lock the door. You're in there. You're not in control of whether you can get in or out of that prison. But this other cage, this other cage is the one that the enemy loves to use. That's one of his great tricks is this cage that we can't see where things happen in our lives. And it's not what happens so much as what our response is to what happened, whether we end up in the cage. Because the devil tells us all kinds of lies about ourselves. He'll tell you you're not good enough. You'll never amount to anything. Oh, you're just damaged goods. You're just damaged goods. No one's ever going to want you. It doesn't stop. You're not pretty enough. You're not smart enough. You just, you don't fit in with everybody else. You're not a male. You're not a female. 
You're neither, actually. You're neither. They're just constructs. This cage is the construct. And we're led into it with his lies. Just to give you an example, I knew a woman many, many, many years ago and she always had some kind of like unusual condition and it was never just an ordinary condition. It was something that required a lot of study on her part. She became an expert on her conditions and then if you ever asked her how she was, you know, she'd, you did, kind of really didn't want to ask because you'd get the Encyclopedia Britannica kind of version of what it was or the medical dictionary version of whatever it was that she was dealing with at any given point of time. And what I noticed as I got to know her over a period of time was she went from one thing to another. So she'd have, you know, something wrong with the wrist or something wrong with the knee or something wrong. But one thing would sort of somehow get healed and then it would be the next thing. And one time we had a group of people at our home and she was once again gathering people in because she was often just gathering people in to oh, you know, I've got this problem and that problem and this and that. And, and she's just drawing people into that. And so she gathered us around to pray. And, and you know, you do. You want to bear each other's burdens. You want to support each other and you want to activate faith for your brothers and sisters. But as we were about to pray, the Holy Spirit said to me, absolutely clear as a bell, he said, don't pray for healing. What? Don't pray for healing. She doesn't want to be healed. She wants attention. And I thought, whoa, okay. And because I know the voice of the Holy Spirit, I kept my mouth shut. But I began to pray for her in a completely different way in the future. You see, she was caught in this cage. She was caught in this cage of believing lies about herself. And she wasn't comfortable being free from it. That's why another condition always presented itself. Because what do you do now when you're free? And there are people that struggle and suffer with these kinds of things, with depression, oppression, types of mental illness and all kinds of conditions. So what does the Bible say that can help us? James 1, 5 to 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, to guide him through a decision or circumstance, he is to ask our benevolent God who gives to everyone... To who? Everyone. Generously. Without rebuke or blame. He doesn't say, there you go again, you numbnut. There you go. You're asking me again. He doesn't do that. And it will be given to him. But he must ask for wisdom in faith without doubting God's willingness to help. Without doubting God's willingness to help. Do you know why that's important? Because when we doubt his willingness to help, we are doubting his character. For the one who doubts is like a billowing surge of the sea that is blown about and tossed by the wind. For such a person ought not to think or expect that he will receive anything at all from the Lord, being double-minded, unstable and restless in all his ways, in everything he thinks, feels or decides. See, we cannot serve two masters. We cannot serve two masters. What masters us governs us. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other. He'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon mean money, possessions, fame, status or whatever. Whatever 
is valued more than the Lord. You see, it is our choice. Even as believers, we are free to refuse to be confronted with this truth in areas of our lives that the Holy Spirit desires to work and move in. We are free to do so. We are free to stand in that cage and say, I suffer depression. I've always had depression. My father had depression. My great-grandfather had depression. My great-great-grandfather had... We are free to choose to do that. Or that door's wide open. Nobody's locked the door. Always say, I have the mind of Christ. It's no longer I that live. It's Christ who lives in me. Hallelujah. Whoever the sun sets free is free indeed. Goodbye, cage. Goodbye, lies. I'm done. You know, another example is I know a lot of people that in the last few years are no longer fellowshipping in the house of God. No longer fellowshipping in the house of God. And I'm not talking about people that are physically unable to do so. We have beautiful church family. They would come if they could. They're literally physically unable to be here in person. I'm talking about people that at home, it's convenient. Oh, I don't get anything out of it when I go to church. I've, I've even had believers tell me that God told them. God told them to stay out of church. Some of them for decades. God told them. I think it's really important that we understand that God will never go against his own word. Not a single one of us is that special that God will compromise his character and his identity just for us and our convenience. It will not happen. And so this is very dangerous to take these kind of attitudes and to begin to cooperate with lies that are clearly outside of the word of God because the word says do not forsake the assembling together with the saints and there's a whole host of reasons that that is important a whole host but see the enemy doesn't want that you're much easier to pick off when you're at home alone just you and your tv screen God will not do his will our way not ever not ever. And one of the most poignant examples that I could share with you is Abraham and Sarah. We know the story. And one of the things that I really love when I approach the Bible is that I don't like this idea, and I talked to Jeff about it, is I don't like this idea that, you know, we look at the Bible and we look at the Scriptures and we have this bird's eye view because we're privileged to be able to look at it in the context like that and we kind of come over it and look at it. I say to him, I really think that what the Holy Spirit wants us to do is that we get into the Word. We see ourselves in the people and in the stories and we allow the Holy Spirit to pierce through our spirit and our flesh and do heart surgery within us as we read the Word. And so Abraham and Sarah, two very old people that get a promise about having descendants as vast as the stars of the sky and the, the um, grains of sand on the seashore and yet they're so old that their reproductive systems are kind of cactus. So it's a bit tricky for them to believe this. So they come up with their solution, which is that, okay, we'll get a maidservant in the picture. And we know the story of Hagar. And do you know what? Our world, thousands of years later, is still dealing with the consequences of that decision. 
But what I really love is that later, Abraham proves he's learnt his lesson well in trusting the character, the nature and the integrity of God. When God asked him to take his boy Isaac and offer him up as an offering... Abraham is so convinced and so persuaded in the goodness and the faithfulness of God. He thinks God must intend to resurrect him. It doesn't cross his mind for a moment that God wouldn't keep his promise. We need to be people like that. We need to be people that go, God will never break his promise. I don't understand everything that's happening around me. I don't get all the circumstances, but I know that he's true to his word. You see, in the natural world, generally speaking, because there are exceptions, so in case I've got any gardeners in here, this is a qualifier, pruning is best done in late winter. Because in late winter, the growth of vegetation slows down. It becomes virtually dormant in some cases. And so it's safe to prune and to cut off stuff. And then when the spring comes... You know what bursts out of that pruning? New life flourishes out of the pruning. So my question is, will we trust God with the winters of our lives? Will we trust him with pruning? You see, faith is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. I'm not going to wake up one day. You're not going to wake up one day and say, I feel a lot of faith today. It's not a feeling. And that's where we draw that line in the sand and we say, you know what? I do not care what is happening, what's happening on the news and in the world and all these conspiracies and everything else that's going on. I don't care. I put my faith and trust in the one that I know will never, ever, ever fail. Hallelujah. Do you know why God wanted to set apart a people for himself? In the midst of everything that was going to take place, he wanted people set apart to be evidence and reality of his love, his truth, his way and his life. And that's us. Today that's us. How wonderful. We get to be the evidence of and testify to the fact that God is very much real and very much alive. Hallelujah. So we can choose to live in the fullness of his freedom in every area of our lives. But the, the, really, the thing that makes all the difference is what degree do we choose to believe what he says over what has happened in our lives over what's been our normal, over what's been our go-to response. He paid the ultimate price to secure our freedom. Remember, we started with the key text. For freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Hallelujah. He's a good God. He's a good God. And so as as I was preparing, I just sensed the Holy Spirit say to me, that there are believers, there are believers, his children, his beloved children that are standing still in cages, standing in cages. And you know, when Jesus stood 
at the outside of Lazarus's grave. And that's why I love that song that we sang at the beginning. When Jesus stood outside Lazarus's grave, we know he'd been dead for four days. He's decomposing already. There could be maggots in his body. What is dead in our lives? What is dead? Is there an area of our life that seems dead, that isn't flourishing? Maybe there's unforgiveness. Maybe there's a relationship. Maybe there's, there's, there's something. You know what it is. But today the Holy Spirit is standing at the very um, door and He is saying, in Jesus' name, come forth. In Jesus' name, come forth. There is no lie. There is no chain. There is no circumstance that can hold the children of the Most High God. Because for this freedom, Christ has set us free. Glory to God. Glory to God. God bless you as you walk in His freedom this week. We are just going to pray. I'm going to invite any, everyone to close their eyes. And if you could just pray with me. We're going to thank God for his freedom. And if there's anyone here that does not know Jesus Christ, the one who paid for true freedom, I invite you to say this prayer and ask Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. And you will know a freedom that you've never known before. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he came, he died, and he rose again for me. I accept the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. You are my Lord. You are my Saviour. You are my freedom. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at brainer.org.au.